a listener production. G'day, it's Rusty here, all set for part two of my podcast with longtime MotoGP mechanic Alex Briggs. If you haven't done lap one yet, part one, make sure you head back to the library and give it a listen. From his early years in Canberra on buses to working with Aussie motocross legend Craig Dack. A nightclub incident in Europe after one of the 500cc races and how the hell they got out of there. McDoohan versus his countryman and friend Daryl Beatty and much, much more. We begin part two with the pre-race ritual for McDoohan and being around him as he got in the zone before the start of a GP. Uh, my memories of Mick are, um, are more focused, like, you know, mm. just could drill a hole through you with his eyes just before, you know, yeah. like he was he was more like a, it felt to me like a boxer getting ready for a fight with Mick. Yeah. Like he was kind of pumped up. And sometimes he wouldn't go so good and I think whether he knows he did it or doesn't know it, I think he'd pick a fight with Dicky often. Really? About, about Crazy. He had Dicky now works for him. Yeah, so yeah. Like, no, <laughs> I mean, and they probably still fight, you know. Like, but they're mates, you know. But, yeah. I mean, I'm talking just a fight as in, I don't know, just something stupid, you know. Like argue about something. Like something. What, what would you know? Or did it, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. you know, just hmm. something. And I think some because Dicky would bite back because he's his mate and he hmm. wasn't scared, you hmm. know, like so. And so they'd have it. And I think it would get Mick. Almost G'd up, you know. Sometimes yeah. when 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 Mick didn't sort of have the feeling for it, but mostly Mick could, he could you know motivate himself and would motivate all of us because his desire to win is something. Yeah, you know, he carries a lot of that into business today. I think he's, he's similar. Right. Life has yeah, yeah, chilled yeah, a bit yeah, more, yeah. but I think you know that um, that trait in yeah. him is you know he still has he still has that deep deep down. MotoGP at the you know on on race day and and things like that as you talked before it's it's a show so it attracts all these people it wasn't uncommon at Laguna Seca to see a Brad Pitt a Matt LeBlanc or any yeah. of those guys rock up and no doubt you got to meet a few yeah, in your yeah. time were there and they don't have to be Hollywood people they could be industry people I don't know but were there a couple that came to the garage that you were really impressed with that you thought were you know proper enthusiasts or right into it? Who were some of the, the, the sort of stood out when they came by that were good to all, hear? All the people that pretty much have come in like that, like you're talking about, like mm. um, uh, like Brad Pitt and, yeah. um, and Matt. And all, I remember calling him Joey by mistake one time. Did you? Goes, don't worry. <laughs> he goes, even my mum does it. So, That's awesome. I don't know. You've probably taken the piss. But anyway, yeah, we, we sort of got on. I saw him over several years, you know, yeah. and he was always just uh, – they're always keen on the bike, you know. They just and and I think because we we had been used to working for somebody famous, it wasn't we weren't in their face like that. They were they were interested in the motorbike, and we were interested in helping them learn about it. So yeah. almost all the famous people that have come in have, have been really they'd almost stand off a bit and go, oh, I don't want to get in your way, and go, no, it's, it's fine, you know. Like, yeah. uh, Roger Federer, I remember him coming in and just going, oh, I don't want to get in the way, and he was like a super nice guy, you know, mm. like and. Um, I remember uh, what's the fellow from Dire Straits, uh, Mark Knopfler. Yeah, so Mark, I said, yeah. I said that someone will just be swearing at me now, going, "You idiot!" <laughs> anyway, so Mark Knopfler comes in the garage in um, in Silverstone, not Silverstone, Donington Park, mm-hmm. and he's talking with Valentino, and Valentino's a big fan, you know, and uh, they're talking and talking. And I think Mark Knopfler had broken his arm or something, maybe fell that off, sounds right, fell yeah. off a ladder or something like that. I don't know he couldn't play, and they're talking about there were sorts. But Valentino nearly missed the the light to go out to the race oh, because because wow. uh, they were just talking and we were like, "Come on, mate, you gotta go." There, you know? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. But I've also I'm hopeless too. I've I've sat next to the famous people and I don't know who they, who they are. are. Yeah. My wife goes, "You idiot," you know. Like, and I just I've asked them the dumbest questions. You know, some of these people, but it's it's great. You know, but mainly. I mean, they, they come into the garage because of the famous people that I've worked for. You know, yeah. and so you get to meet them and and nearly like like everyone else, they're just the same as. But they just like motorbikes and stuff. We'll get to Valentino mm. shortly. But you've brought up your lovely wife, Ellen. Yeah. yeah. Very talented, stand-up comedian. As you and I talk, she's about to venture off to the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Yeah, yeah. How did you guys meet? Did she always have that comedy sort of streak <laughs> in, in her? And you have been 
a bit of subject matter for some of her routines. Have, have you not? Has she done stuff about you? I think she right, does. I, I joke, if it wasn't for me, she, she, <laughs> she'd, she'd have no material. She'd have no material. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just me joking and it's one of my jokes and, and it's crap. I'm not the guy that makes money out of telling a funny story. Anyway, we'd, so we'd been to this party, we're driving home and, and I was feeling a little bit tired and I said to him, honey, tonight I want to try something a little bit kinky. And don't you blokes love it when we say kinky? <laughs> or in his case, different, right? I'll give you the tip. We like same and quick. <laughs> I see those banners, you know, do you want longer lasting sex? Oh, no. <laughs> I've got things to do. School lunches to make, you know. So I met her actually the first time I ever uh, laid eyes on her. I think was, uh, well, I think it was at a party, and mm-hmm. she was uh, telling a story in the party. Yeah, like to in, a, in Australia, in Canberra, where in, in Canberra, Canberra, yeah. yeah. Like, so it was at a friend's birthday, and she was just surrounded by people telling a story. She worked at the government at that time for uh, Kim Beasley, I think, didn't she at one point? Or? I think she might have mm. worked in that in that mm. department for a while. Yeah, so. And then she worked for the, the Department of Education or CES, I think it was back then. Okay. And one of her jobs, it, it evolved into, um, I think this is kind of what gave her the, the first inkling really, or she didn't realise it at the time, but her job was to go out later on and talk to groups of people about a new system they've implemented into, like a computer system at the time had come in and she had to go out to all the regional areas and sit in front of all the people that had come in and teach them the new system, the computer system. But, you know, I'm talking boring whiteboard stuff and all that sort of stuff. And I think the public speaking then and soon realising that being funny helps people learn is probably what kicked it off before she really knew it, you know. Mm. And then we moved up here because uh, she had a payout from the government. We we had friends up here. This is... uh, northern New South Wales or near Byron Bay, we, we, we'd come and visit friends and we said, we, we should go up there and live. And I didn't, it didn't matter where I lived. Mm. So um, we did. We moved up here, um, bought a block of land, built a house. So you made, you made it work um, in a way that I think is super impressive, mate, because you would spend a lot of your life in, in Europe or on planes and, and things like that. I mean, you, you got, you had young kids when you first moved here. I think they were about five. They're now 20, the boys were there yeah, about something. Yeah, 20, so, yeah, twins. So, you know, how did you guys do that? Because that's a, that's not an easy done when you, you're you know, miles apart, you're constantly, how many plane flights do you reckon you've done over your years? Do you reckon you know? Hundreds, you know. I mean, it was over in hours the last, last, not last year, but the previous year was the highest. We'd, we'd 2019, done. yeah. What's yeah. your chalk up? Uh, is it 2019? Yeah. Yeah, last year, no, because we just weren't there and yeah. back, right? Yeah. But, but uh, the year before that, yeah, so it was uh, over 500 and I think 560 hours. Unbelievable. In, in That's plane flight hours. Not, yeah. not in air, the air, basically. Yeah, not yeah. at the airports and stuff. So that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So you can see why they flicked me. Expensive, but yeah. So, but that that was just the nature of racing, how it became. You know, like the she clearly thing. understood that, and, and you know, I, we've talked about it before. I think had in the last sort of ten years, had we met then, I don't think we would have ended up being together because the, the amount of time away and the racing mm. just was was different. But when mm. I first started, you kind of had these blocks of, um, you know, five months almost at home. Crazy. So it was, we had 13 mm. Grand Prix, 14, 13 or 14 the first few years, mm. a few tests, and I'd come back in the middle of it. You'd sort of do like a two months and a three month stint, and then you're home. Mm. It wasn't, you know, it was pretty cruisy, you know, yeah. and we'd, we'd send letters, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, and I. I used to break into phone boxes and because uh, it was too expensive. We used to have phone cards and all that, but then I, I figured out how to break into phone boxes. <laughs> Hot wire them. Pretty much, yeah. I had the whole kit. I mean, had, the, had this whole thing, yeah. And, you are um, MacGyver. You are. Well, the money part, that then the phone boxes are like Fort Knox, right? Because yeah. no one ever wants to go and steal the money. Yeah. But the electrics underneath it were just like basic. basically <laughs> a screwdriver and you're in, a couple of clips and off you go. And you just, I'll just sit in the bottom of these phone boxes because it was also – early stages of our relationship. So that'd be like, you know, hour, two-hour phone calls. Long from phone Europe calls somewhere. From Europe. Awesome. Nothing, man. Cool. I'm sure someone at the Belgian telecom were just like freaking out. What is going on here? How is this happening? I don't know, but, yeah, I, the story's there too, but there's no no point now. How did, how did 
the the move for everybody. You, Jeremy Burgess, and Co. to Valentino Rossi happen because at the point of mixed um, career ending injury here, Valentino is already a one two five world champion, already a two fifty world champion, already this emerging star character of yeah. the sport, yeah. isn't he? And this is the next big step to the the top of the league to five hundred cc. How did it come about for you? Well, basically, we were just, I remember being told that next year we're going to have this young kid, Valentino Rossi, going to be riding for us. And I knew him, but I, yeah. I didn't know of him really. I knew yeah. what he'd done. But, you know, it's almost arrogant of us. Like, we were just like 500 GPs with a thing. The other classes didn't care that much about, you know. Mm-hmm. I just was only worried about my thing, my rider, yeah. you know, who's in front of my rider, who's behind my rider. So, you know, again, when he came, he's just, to me, was just another rider. I didn't really have the... I don't know. I, di- I didn't. I didn't really know him. You know, mm. like uh, I knew he was riding well, and I'd seen a few good races with him and stuff like that. But I wasn't in awe or anything like that. So okay. I, th- I think he kind of liked that. You mm. know, I think he liked it from all of us. He was just, he was just him, and we were us, and there was no, you know, you started talk- from zero. You've talked as you've talked Mick in personality styles. What was he like? Because he was a different mm. athlete again, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, uh, and he. He was and still is just great with 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 us. Like mm. he's got a like a infectious kind of personality. Mm. I think most people, when they meet him, sort of go, "What is it?" You know. I think he's, he really captures you somehow. You yeah. Know? Um, he's smart and uh, he's a nice guy. You know, mm. like. Uh, did you polish up on a bit of Italian? He can speak English anyway, but but no. did you? No, he didn't try so, and do oh, any of that look, stuff. He'll tell you the story too. Like so. <laughs> Almost early on, I bought one of those little Oxford <laughs> Italian to English books. And I remember going to him, like, in the back of the Honda truck, saying, mate, mate, I'm, I'm going uh, yeah, to learn Italian. Don't worry, you know. And he's like, yeah, okay. And he still gives me shit today. But, <laughs> no, no joke. He just still just goes, yeah, I remember. Okay, so I never learned. I mean, I've everyone always asks me, because you work in basically an English-speaking hmm. team, yeah. there was no need. If I worked in, if I was the only English speaker in an Italian team, because I know guys that have had to do that and they mm. all speak Italian perfectly. Mm. And, you know, and, and I wish in some regards I did because mm. it but, but people ask me, do you speak any other languages? And the answer is always the same. I, I speak enough to get into a fight and mm. not enough to get out of it. Okay. So I can get a beer, I can get a hotel, I can get a feed in most countries, but, you know, no, no, not fluent. How different was he to Mick in the way that he went about his racing, perhaps the way that he rode the bike when you looked back on, on things? Was he massively different? Was there? His burning desire to win is is the same. They're mm. all, all of them have been the same. Mm. But his external, the way he shows it is different. Like mm. Mick, Mick, you could see it, that he wanted to win. Valentino, in my opinion, you know, mm. he, he seemed winning was part of it and the most important part, but the enjoying of winning hmm. was different and the enjoyment of the racing. Yep. You know, even, I mean, I've seen him get off the bike in his second or third place after an unbelievable race and just beaming from ear to ear. Because he didn't win. Because he, lo- he loved the race. He didn't win it. Hmm. And I think some of the people in the garage were all like shitting themselves going, oh, no, he's going to be mad, you know. And he gets off and he goes, wow, you know. Hmm. And you just go, wow, you know, like that's great. Hmm. You know, he, he loved that race. I mean, another lap later he might have been winning it and I hmm. think he knew that, you hmm. know, but just it just didn't work out then. But the race was great. So The, the celebrations that he did at the height of things post race or post-title wins were famous. You, yeah, you, yeah. They're always something different and it sucked you in from the story, the humour, whatever it, it may have been. Did you get a sense before the race they were going to do something? Did you ever know what it was? Never knew, never asked. No never, way. Never, ever. Never knew, never, ever asked. Not once. The best. Sometimes towards the end people would say, this is going to be a good one, and i go, okay. Never asked, ne- never knew. that. And I remember hearing a, a one that was um, that went wrong for them. Like I mm-hmm. think it was... Um, it was. Uh, I've, I've said it before to an interview with uh, uh, Susie one time, and she asked me about it. Is um, it was in Germany, and uh, he they got they got the the I don't know the vicar, the, yep. you know, like so they got him there, and they built this fake. I never saw it, but they built this fake uh, bell tower with yep. a bell in it, and they got him <laughs> like, 
and they were going to wheel it out on the track and he was going to ring because when Valentino wins, the, apparently they ring the bell in Tavulia. Yep. Like, you know. His hometown in yeah, Italy. So, yeah, so they ring this bell and, and uh, so they're going, well, we're, going to, we're going to do that at the track. So they built this, I don't know what it's out of, probably paper mache, right? Yeah. And they're wheeling this thing across a gravel trap apparently and they're ushering the old fella across like, like, come on, mate, you know. I, I can kind of see it like an old Pope type. I don't know the guy, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But I can imagine what it's like. They're trying to get this guy out there. And Valentino had been playing the whole race, to be honest, with uh, with Sete. Like he mm-hmm. had the race won but he kind of played with him a bit and mm-hmm. let, him, let him dice with him. And I think he cocked it up because uh, I think he missed a gear out of the last corner. Yeah. And uh, and Sete beat him, you know. I, I can't remember exactly, like mm. it was a while ago, but I think that's what happened. He missed a gear, got beaten on the line by Sete. And so then this poor old dude's getting, the boys are going, no, he hasn't won, you know, they're, and they're wheeling him back. Like, come on, mate, man. And this guy's just got no idea. So that, that's kind of the loose story. I never saw the thing, but I would have been. It. Yeah, and I think, yeah, there was a couple of others that I, I knew of afterwards and that never happened and it would yeah. have been just fantastic, but that didn't happen, but. Yeah. Two-stroke or four-stroke? What floats uh, your boat uh, more? Two-stroke. Two Two-stroke stroke every day. Yeah. yeah. They were amazing, those things. I mean, I know the world's in racing, the shows evolve, manufacturers have, have yeah. gone down a certain yeah. path and so on. I, I kind of love the fact that uh, people like KTM and others have kept developing two-strokes and there's still right. lots of love in that right. in that space. But the 500s were, a, were an amazing yeah. special machine, weren't they? I just like them because they're so simple and so much power from mm. such something so simple. Mm. Although they did they used to burn a lot of fuel, mm. which is probably, I mean, <laughs> we, we're, we're, so we're lifting 32-litre uh, fuel tanks onto these bikes, 32 litres for the race. It was it was like 25-lap race, you know. We've got 32 litres going on there. That's a lot. A lot yeah. And now we've got like 20-litre tanks. Yep. Yeah. So from the, the move with Valentino goes well, he's uh, successful, successful with Honda. And then around the end of 2003, 2004 comes the chance to, to jump ship, to go to Yamaha. I know that first race for you is, in, is immensely special. We'll get, yeah. we'll get to that in a second. But, but I want to understand the mechanics of what plays out perhaps politically behind the scenes. The rider, you guys always call them the, the rider. Yeah. The rider moves first. The press know about the fact that Valentino is off to, to Yamaha. He wants to keep the core group together. And I think you were... Were you individually kind of caught in? I think JB went first or something or other. What unfolded there? Yeah, so we knew he was going and he'd ask if, if we want to go. Yep, so you had like a quiet quite little meeting or kind of thing. Yeah, but you? it sort of also got a little bit mud, muddy towards the end. We weren't really sure who we should be talking to, to and, and yeah. Bernie uh, had had a relationship with uh, Lynn Jarvis in the past because he'd worked for Marlboro Yamaha. Yep. So he was on the phone. I remember being at the exit gate of uh, in Japan on the phone, Bernie was on the phone. We're trying to tee up what's going on, you know, because we'd all decided we want to go. So this is this must be Matigi two thousand and three kind of thing. Would that be right? Yeah. So yeah, we, yeah. and then the and then I think the next race was maybe uh, maybe Phillip Island. I think I'd okay. have to look yep. at the calendar. But anyway, so it was only like a few weeks before we actually signed on a dotted line kind of thing. But it kind of went a bit quiet, and we weren't really sure. But we'd all decided we we're going. Yep. And uh, or we wanted to go, you know. So at that time, Valentino had sort of got a bit disillusioned with uh, with Honda a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of I think he wanted to prove to other people that he could win on something else because the press was probably you know on him mm-hmm. saying you know you you're winning mm-hmm. um, because of the bike, you know. And I think Honda, some of the engineers at Honda believed that, you know. Mm-hmm. They also thought that the that the bike was so good that anyone could win on it. You know, I think mm-hmm. they thought that, and Valentino could feel it, and. We'll, you know, to a certain degree, I think we all started to feel that way, that mm. they uh, it became too easy for them, you know. Mm-hmm. But they sort of forget some of them. Well, they, they change engineers quite quickly, you know, so mm. it, all the time at, at the Japanese companies. But anyway, the, the rider develops the bike that becomes this bike that they think is can win, you know. Mm. So basically it's a big it's a group that makes this bike that they think is now so good that anyone can win on. So I think, that, you know, he wanted to move. We said we're going to, and uh, and then it, it all happened at, uh, it finally happened at Phillip Island, JB. Was it Phillip Island? Did he, I think he, I mean, you'll, you'll figure out which round it is, but it, something happened. He went first 
and met with them, and I think they were hopeful that you guys. Would oh no! Okay, stay, so I, I remember what happened. Yeah. Basically, Honda had said, "Okay, it's contract time. Mm-hmm. Come, come, and, come into the office and have a meeting." I think it was a bus or something. Anyway, come into the into the bus and have a meeting. And so JB generally would go first. That yep. was yep. how it's happened for years, right? So JB goes first. They come out, and JB has has contract under his arm normally, and goes, "Okay." And uh, Alex, you've got to go in there now too. And, mm-hmm. and you negotiate every single year. You argue about value. You might not sign there or then. You might argue for a few months about this or that or mm-hmm. hotels or something, right? Mm-hmm. Always try to squeeze something out of them. <laughs> and uh, anyway, JB goes and tells them, no, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm off. Uh, I, I'm not going to be here next year for mm-hmm. you guys. Well, okay. So they've just gone well, a bit of a shock, you know. <laughs> okay, can you tell Alex to come in? I go in there and I tell them the same thing. And they've just gone, oh, shit. Bernie, you know, uh, and uh, he goes in the same thing. And so, right, we're all, we're all off, you know. You're off to Yamaha and what I want to try and um, uh, bleed or blend, Actually, blend in uh, here. You know what? I'm starting to think now, I'm hopeless, right, because it's just so long ago, but We'd actually signed in Phillip Island, I think, and then the last race, I think, was Valencia. Is that right? Maybe. Could be. Jesus yeah. Christ, I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. I think that's how. So we'd already signed. So when we to buy stay the, with, 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 you know, to go to Yamaha. To go to Yamaha. Yeah. That yeah. happened yeah. in Phillip Island. Well, okay. I remember it was the, what was the name of the hotel? In anyway, Cowles. So, in, yeah, in Cowles. Yeah, so yeah. basically we went from the track and unfortunately Dickie wasn't involved in, in, in going and we didn't want to, we were signing these contracts and, and, and we didn't want, to we didn't want anyone to know. We mm. didn't want Dickie to know at the time. And mm. it was just all, oh, it was a bit, it was a bit awful that, to be honest, that little mm. part. And so somehow we had, had, we we're going to meet at the pub like always for, and then decide yep. where to have dinner, right? So anyway, on the way back, Dickie's gone with somebody else and, and then we've all pulled into the, the hotel and switched off the lights in the car park and then went one by one into Lynn's room. Uh, he was there with, uh, uh, David Brivio. Yeah. And uh, we individually discussed our contracts and what we wanted and uh, and agreed to terms and then went, okay, you're, you're going next, Gary. And Gary went and then Bernie and J- oh, JB was first and that's how it worked. All, all playing out in little Phillip Island, which, which I yeah, love. Yeah, yeah. Meantime. We just kid- didn't want any journalists to know. No, to know, you know of course. So nobody, that's just, that's so nobody life, had mate. any idea. That's life. Meantime, your good Kiwi mate, Brent Stevens is at Yamaha, yeah. at a different team. He's kind of weighing up options. And I think, did you guys all say to him, just stay, don't move? Yeah, so <laughs> he, he, he was thinking about leaving and he wanted to work with our team because he liked our, you know, us. And we'd shared a couple of, uh, well, maybe one or two trips to the airport. I remember one yep. from Magello. Like we're getting the flight out tonight from Rome, you know, jump in the car with us, me, JV and Brent. And we're, we're, so we sort of, we, we, were, we knew each other and, uh, we said, you know, if uh, if we need a mechanic, you know, Brent would be would be great for us. You know, so we'd sort of always kept that yeah. uh, rapport, I guess, me, JB, and everyone in the team. But it never really came up. But then we were going there, and he wanted to leave, and he was talking to us, and we said, mate, stay where you are, you know, just stay where you are, <laughs> and we can't say too much, you know. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And then, so what happened was. Uh, we went there and he was our manual. So so when we went there, Brent oh, cool. switched, switched teams. So we had to tell Carlos, who he was quite good friends with, mm-hmm. that he wasn't going to work with him anymore, this Carlos Checker, and then he's going to work for Valentino the following year. But manual meaning his understanding of the bike and Yeah, things. so like yeah. when you're when you, mm. the quickest way to learn a bike, there is no actual manual. Mm. Honda's got the closest thing to a manual. It's really just an exploded parts book. Mm-hmm. But on the four-stroke, they didn't even have that. But anyway. So you basically learn from another guy, you know. Mm. So, uh, um, and and he was our manual, and and he was a perfect fit for us. So heading into 04, the general feeling is bike is not perfect. It'll maybe take a little bit of time. Fundamentally, it's good. Maybe uh, you know, in a, in a media sense, I think most of the media thought, oh, you know, it'll hopefully work, but it won't happen straight away. He wins on debut. In South Africa yeah. with you boys, and how good was that? Just amazing, <laughs> and I think you rate that among yeah. some of the highest things no, that, that you've done. For me, that was the highest. That, that, mm. that was the best race for me. Mm. Yeah, I. Yeah, I don't. I mean, everything about that and that whole year, that next, those few years there, that initial years with Yamaha, are probably the ones I remember. Uh, I guess the most fondly. Yeah. And you're back with Yamaha in, in, a, in a circle, more or less, of, of life. How you, you yeah, ended up going back it. to that factory that I, that I 
paid to go to almost, you know, paid for a flight on Garuda Air. <laughs> yeah, so there I was. Yeah. Amazing. Weird. You have success with, with Yamaha there. There are, you know, in, in Valentino's uh, record books, there are nine world titles, seven of them in the in the premier class with, with you know, um, in a very unique position in the record books with different manufacturers, Honda and, and Yamaha. There were moments where stuff got away from from you guys, which would have been would have been tough. And I immediately think of the year Nicky Hayden, the late Nicky Hayden won the championship and what went down at the final race and, and things like that. Were you in those, you know, for all the success in those competitive moments when it got away from the rider like that? What did, what went through your uh, minds? I mean, afterwards I just felt so horribly sorry for him, you know. Mm. Like he you know, Nikki won that championship, but in my mind it was a championship where we lost, you know, mm. I think we could have won that, you know. Mm. I think there was a f- mistakes further in the beginning of the season that, you know, should have won us that, that mm. championship, but it's racing, you know. But I I, I always feel it's like, a, I don't know, I don't know what it is. I, I feel for the ride and not so much for me. I, I mean, it's not that I don't care if we win the championship mm. or not, but I don't... I just want to do that race that day as good as I can mm. for them, you know. Yeah. I want them to win the championship. I, it's, yeah. not, it's not my championship to win. Mm. I mean, I'm involved, sure, but mm. I always I always feel for them, you know. Like the following day I wake up, I'm still getting the same money, no one's talking to me any different, but for them it's mm. the whole, like, I mean, I think we had to do some crock crock of shit testing the next day when you think the Yama and the Japanese just want to test or something and you just mm. go, man, he doesn't want to test. He, mm. You know, I think he kind of went into a bit of a depression almost after that. Really? You know, yeah, I think for, I think he'll say he, like, slept, I think it was that, that year, he just, like, stayed in bed for, like, three days, you know. Really? Mm. It just does. Yeah. Is he different like that? Like, he, uh, you know, part of me, when I've seen him over the years at Phillip Island, I don't know him well enough, but I wonder, is he kind of a, is he a little bit superstitious? Is he, what's oh, he like as a person, you know? Mate, I mean... People used to ask me when I first started working on what's he like, what's he like, mm. what's he like. I mean, actually, that's the thing people have asked me my whole life. Mm. That's almost the first thing people have But he's a demigod, mate. You can understand yeah, why. Yeah, but, I mean, it happened with Daryl, it happened mm. with Mick, happened mm. with Craig. Yeah. You know, what's, they he always like? go, what's he like? Hey, what's he like? <laughs> no, actually, what they say is, what's he really like? Because they just want you to tell them, I don't know what they want. You know, they just want, they want you to. They want you to think he's just a normal bloke. They, like want, you they want that or they want the opposite. They want, mm. oh, he's a real prick. You know, okay. they want that or mm. they want, oh, mate, he's the best guy ever. You'd love him, you know. You know, and all the guys I've worked with, I've been really lucky. They mm. are those sorts of guys. So you'd love you'd love talking to them. And mm. when you get Mick talking about racing short circuit in the old days with a couple of beers or something, some of the stories are so <laughs> funny. You know, and and yeah, you know, Daz has got some great stories, and and Valentino, he's got the same. You know, so mm. much fun just listening to. And then and some of the stories we've made together. You know, when you yep. talk about them, remember when we did this? You know, it's great that we've worked that long. So like, you know. Yeah, I, so he, he's Valentino is um, he's a, one of those guys that that you would enjoy going to dinner with, hmm. you know, if you saw the real side. But what what he's really like to me is very similar to what you see. Hmm. It's just you know authentic. Just, yeah. yeah, what what do you see on hmm. TV is pretty close to him hmm. most of the time, you know. But hmm. he's funnier when he's not on TV, and uh, yeah, and the, you see more joy from him. You like the joy from watching riding at the ranch and that sort of stuff. Though. Like, You've been there? What's that like? I mean, for people that, that don't know what we're talking about here in two-wheel terms, Valentino has a, uh, a dirt track mm. at home, really cool. I think they call it the, the ranch, yeah, don't exactly, they? exactly, yeah. And um, it looks like enormous fun. Oh, mate, mate, it? it's mega. It's yeah. so Have you ridden there? Yeah, a few times. So, like, he, he, he loves it. He encourages it. He's always saying, come, 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 you know. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, so the last few years we've, we've done it around the Mizano race. Yep. So... Well, Stavulli is not all that far from Mizano. We're talking, oh, no, no, we're, we're talking, talking 10Ks half, or something, yeah, isn't it? Like yeah, half an hour drive yeah, yeah. From, from, from the hotel at the beach to, to that track, you know, mm. to his sort of place. And the last few years, we uh, we used to sort of ride there and then we'd, we'd go to Valentino, had built uh, a, a new house and we went there for dinner and it was kind of all really set awesome. up. But then, then the last few years he'd had uh, um, pizzas at, at at the ranch because yep. uh, he owns a pizza shop. So, yep. like, we have all these pizzas and actually pizzas and we've also had, like, barbecues and stuff. Anyway, it's just great. He really puts on a good show for pretty much all of the Yamaha people. He started inviting not just us, everyone in the team. So both both sides of the garage, both oh, riders, awesome. um, 
you know, and whether they take him up or not. But most people turned up because it became a thing. You know, you yeah. had to, if you got the opportunity, you should be, yeah, you cool, should be cool riding thing. this place, mate. Very so cool. it's great. Mm. But to see him there is uh, is funny, man, because he's, he's uh, especially with us, he's, I don't know what you, it's he's like he's, he's really him, you know, mm. like he's, he's, uh, and he just loves it. He loves watching us cock up and crazy. Yeah, I just gets off on it. That's like, <laughs> thinks it's the greatest thing. And he tells us a hotline, and I'm always going, mate, because last year you told me this, and I forgot what is it. You know, because you've got to drag the rear brake here, and you know, gas it here, and all. Right, okay, right, right. So then, then, then he has a race, you know, and he commentates the race. Like he, he gets a microphone, kind of like what we've got here. No way. Yeah, and they record it, yeah. and then we watch it while we're having dinner. <laughs> So, awesome. so so he's like goes okay, and because he knows everyone on the team, it's really funny. We've got uh, our Japanese spare parts guy Suchan. He's a good rider, and he's funny, you know. And so he'll be on there, Suchan, Suchan, yeah. <laughs> attack, attack. And so he's a commentator, full commentating with 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 comedic, comedic so timing. Oh yeah. yeah, like it's gold, man. Excellent. It's gold. So so he commentates. Uh, because he, he normally has a bit of a ride around with somebody to show everyone how you really do it. Yeah. And then we have this race with us and it's just a bunch of just wood ducks riding around like we think we're just great, you know. Excellent. So, yeah, I've made the podium a couple of times, uh, which has been good. Brent's quite good. Brent's very aggressive. <laughs> Suchan, me and Brent and uh, and Luca Catalora one year, but we've, we figure Luca shouldn't really have been in our race because yeah, it's yeah. an actual race. Different class, hey? But, yeah, well, I think... I think him and Brent went at it that year, Did and uh, and Mayo Merigali is quite good, and so we we rub elbows. Lynn Lynn's out there. I've, he's he's uh, has a bit of fun. Great backstory. But you, you think you're like, honestly, you you think you're forty five degrees or flat when you're going around the corner like big drift. You think that you watch them, those guys do it, and they're just unbelievable, right? Hmm. Uh, they go from corner to corner like full flip to the other side sliding. And I put a straight in between those two corners, you know, like, and I'm leaning over and I see the photos afterwards and I go, oh, God, that's embarrassing, you know. But, you know, my racing background, it still comes back to you and you just want to win. You just yeah. don't care. The first corner is just, it's all on, you know. Anyway. Something. So then we watch that over dinner and, and we just relive it, you know, yeah. while we're all having our dinner. And everyone's there by then, you know, his mum and his dad and, oh, not always his dad. His dad's out there sometimes, but he's a crazy rider. Love it. And anyway, it was a great fun, really good. Really cool. And he gets a big kick out of it. Thank you for sharing that. That's, yeah. that's, oh, that's good awesome. Fun. Somewhere here, social media starts to take off. Mm. Your friend, Susie Perry, who works um, in the media around motorcycle racing and, and other things, suggests to you you should get on Twitter. Yeah. And this thing called the Wrench Racer yeah. starts – were you green when you started this thing? Were you what were you thinking? Because it's become a thing. You took people into the world in simple ways. So the the road trip to the track every day. Yeah, what yeah. the topics of conversation were, and people yeah. loved it. So you, yeah. you've developed this following and a, and a kind of brand around it, which is super cool as well. But when you would when you first started, because not everyone takes to social media. What were you like? I'm just as shit as I am now. Ah, still, I still can't spell. You know, that, but that's my trademark. You know, mm. the poor spelling. Yeah, so Susie was on Twitter because it was a new thing yeah. and uh, she tries to explain it to me and I go, no, I don't really get it, you know. So I, I sign up an account just on, you know, yeah. my, my name. Wrench Racer thing comes later on uh, on uh, social media. Oh, no, sorry, on Instagram, right. man. Yeah. But anyway, it all starts from there. So I just start an account and follow Susie and follow two or three other people and and that's it, you know, start and what did you think? Did you think I'll, I'll do something different to so and so, or you just did what you enjoyed? What no, I had no a zero plan. It was just to understand mm. and to see what Susie was doing. Like yeah. I had no idea, right? And then once I started to understand what it was, I really enjoyed. I mean, I had only half a dozen followers, you mm. know. Like, was it ever tense though? Like, did the team sort of say, "Oh, hey, mate, don't give"? Yeah, too that much happened away. a few times. That did happened it? a few times. I think mostly because they didn't really understand it. Okay. More, more. It was more like they felt. Mm, threatened in a way. I don't know. I don't know mm. what. I, it was lack of understanding. Mm. And I still think to some degree they don't really, really? get it, you know. Mm. Anyway, so, yeah, I can explain that. But if, yeah. I, anyway, so it just started it started snowballing a bit and uh, I kind of, I just did what, I didn't have any plan at all. But basically I just started answering questions and showing people what it was like behind the scenes, simple mm. stuff. I mean, mm. real simple stuff, you know, mm. garages and... And they lapped it up, mate. Oh, they, they loved, loved it. it. But, mm. but I, I, I love showing it to them. But I remember thinking to myself because when I was a young motocross rider, 
when I'd read these magazines, the motocross action, I would love learning about stuff, you know. Mm. Maybe it was all bullshit, I don't know, but Mm. this is how Ricky Johnson trains. Mm. This is what John Amar's truck he drives. Mm. This is how such and such wires, lock wires, the grips on the handlebars. Mm. This is how they cut holes and, you know, just little Mm. stuff and I'd lap it up and I just thought, man, there's going to be people out there just like I was. Totally, totally. Now waiting for something Mm. and this, this is... They can they can be in the garage with us, you know, mm. and and they can, you know, and also because we were winning, we we're popular, mm. you know, it, it became very easy. It wasn't didn't have to explain why we lost mostly. Most of it was just, a, mm. hey, we won, and this is where we are now, and and it was all travel. Travel was a big thing for people. Mm. Like a lot of the, I got there's a big following from from the UK and Europe, so I'd show them Australia, you know, mm. I'd show them the farm, you know, uh, animals, and it just just and then I played started. Invented games for them, mm. and I just loved it. It was great. And anyway, it just it just spiraled. So from mechanic ended up with like fifty something you know, thousand people, you know, and merchandise and stuff yeah, yeah. Like well, the merchandise, yeah, yeah that, that too, kind of well, that was good fun, and it still is, still goes. And uh, uh, I don't know, it's, it's great. Okay, I'll try another joke. What's the fastest car in the world? A rental car. Because you can drive it the way you want to without having to pay the mechanic's bill. When I arrived here today, you you guys, you and Ellen kindly made me a coffee and you had yours in a little Ducati cup. Yeah. (laughs) So Ducati is a part of this story as well and we, we... all for whatever reason, maybe it was, you know, how well Casey had gone there. I mean, Troy was obviously so, Troy Bayless was obviously so successful in, in World Superbike for them and so on. We thought that chapter for you guys, for Valentino, would, would yield more. And sadly, it didn't. Mm. When you look back on, on that now, I mean, it wasn't for lack of trying on everyone's part there. Uh, how do you sort of frame that and compartmentalise it? What do you think about that, that time now that you spent with them? I, well, I, I look at it in two ways. I look at it as as me, the mechanic, yep. and then I look at it as Valentino, the rider. So yep. from the rider's point of view, it was horrible. Yep. It, was, it was so disappointing because we all thought we were going to do what we did at Yamaha hmm. and we didn't. Everyone know? did. Yeah. yeah, and we didn't because we had that little bit of track record and so we thought that would happen again. We all expected it. didn't happen. Hmm. And... Um, but from and so I just felt horribly sorry sorry for him. And I, he he was at the point at one stage of just throwing the towel completely in and sitting out a whole year. Really? Yeah. So he he, he was like, well, what are we going to do? You know, because contracts we were trying to get out of things, and it was he was just tied up in stuff that mm. he couldn't get out of. So there was the thought of, well, you know, I'll, I'll sit it out. I'll just sit it out. Wow. Mm. So it got got pretty depressing for him. Mm. But from a mechanic's point of view, I learned. A great deal. I learned a lot. You know, I learned like what? Well, you know, <laughs> what not to do, maybe. <laughs> but you know, it was great to go from a Japanese team to a European mm. team and see the whole way, mm. the mentality, the way things worked. Um, what was great about Japanese teams? Mm. What was uh, poor in in the team I was working for? And you know, when I look back on it, I think you know, why did we lose and why didn't it get better? And I still look at it now, and I think some of those problems we had are still there, still mm. exist for for that company. Mm. Um, but they did really well with Casey and they did good, you know, but, um, you know, even Casey towards the end of his time there, I mean, he left there, mm. you know, so mm. it, I don't think it was ideal mm. towards him. I don't know. I mean, I only know Casey loosely, but, um, you know, he stopped winning on that and moved to Honda and, and won sort of like immediately, you know, mm. like so the bike had sort of perhaps deteriorated from its peak, but, you mm. know, Casey had, had grown used to it and had rode well. He's a great rider and mm. did well. But it wasn't for us and mm. definitely that bike was not for everyone else. I think Valentino was more of, I mean, we built bikes at Yamaha and Honda that were capable for anyone to jump on. Mm. So once Valentino loved that bike, pretty much anyone could jump on it and go, hey, this is a good bike. Mm. You know, Casey built a bike that he could ride well because mm. of how his skill and but not, people, other people jumped on. I mean, uh, yuck! Mm. You know, I don't know why that is. That's mm. just that's just sport. Mm. When they had that moment, we we touched on it a little bit before at Laguna Seca. Mm. I mean, from a fan point of view, from a, a television broadcast point of view, epic battle where they're, you know, 
tucking underneath one another yeah, at the at the um, the corkscrew, and you know Valentino even goes onto the dirt briefly, kind of thing. It was yeah. a magic, magic memories from that. Casey was pretty fired up that day, and yeah. he's spoken about it. JB's spoken about yeah. it in the podcast. I'm, I'm intrigued on you know your memory of the day, and the reason I ask about it is not to inflame old wounds, but you're all Aussies, you know. Yeah. Okay, you're playing in different teams, and it's World Championship. It's serious right. stuff. Yeah. But as you described before, you're there, you know, to support your rider. Yeah. And that's yeah. Valentina. Yeah. So I only just spoke about this like last week to uh, Troy Herfoss, who, oh, yeah. who, yes. who I've sort of been involved with a little bit now. In the Australian it? Superbike Championship. Yeah. Yep. So so it's kind of he, he was talking about it too, because it's mm. one of those it's one of those moments, you mm. know, like in, in racing that's it was that race, uh, it was one of the races, you know, mm. that people all remember. And uh, you still see replays of, of just that moment, you mm. know. Yeah, so I remember that weekend basically Casey was going to wipe the floor with us and everybody else. He was, like, killing it. Like, mm. he, I, he was miles ahead. Like, mm. it was just Casey's got this thing in the bag. He's mm. so much faster. And he knew it. We all knew it. And I remember, I mean, I think the discussion's gone a little bit, I've heard a few different sides, but I'm only going to tell you what I what Yeah, that's I, what I'm only yeah. asking you Yeah, so, so yeah. what I remember is... Uh, Come race day, JB and Valentino had figured out a plan because there's no way we can beat him on outright speed. Casey's faster. Yep. His lap times are faster by like a lot. You know, mm. we're talking, I can't remember, mate. You know, it was like 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4 a second a lap. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that's a, lot, a lot on the racing train, right? Yep. So uh, he was going to kill us. And um, so JB said he thinks he's going to win. Everybody else thinks he's going to win. We have to be in front of him because he's not planned for that. Mm. He doesn't think that's going to happen. Nobody thinks that's going to happen. He thinks he's going to win from the front, mm-hmm. which you're a betting man, you would have put a lot of money on that, you know, mm. and probably somebody did. So JB and Valentino's plan was get in front of him at all costs so he cannot do one complete lap alone because if he does a complete lap Go alone, on. you'll yep. never yep. catch him, yep. right? So, yep. so it's, it's all over. So the plan was don't let him do a complete lap. You've just got to get in front at all costs. Mm. It's not about going getting a good lap time, it was just being in his way, mm-hmm. get in front. That was all it was. So, and if you watch the race, that's all Valentino's doing, get mm-hmm. in front of him. He's not trying to race him as in be a, do a better lap time and mm-hmm. pull ahead. Mm-hmm. Just get in front of him, get mm-hmm. in front of him, get in front. Just keep doing that. Just keep doing that because he's not ready for that. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was probably some of the desperate moves Valentino did, mm-hmm. which are famous, but it was just got to get in front. If he gets that whole main straight ahead of me and mm-hmm. another couple of corners, we're toast. Mm-hmm. So that was get in front, get in front, get in front. Was it front. awkward with Casey afterwards? I mean, I know he came, I think he came to the garage from memory and stuff. Oh, I think he was, yeah, he was going off his head a little bit in, in, mm. uh, in park for maybe. I mean, that just always happens. There's mm. always somebody happy and somebody unhappy. Mm. It's just racing, you know. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't really care too much. I mean, yeah. I like I, I was a great race. I liked mm. the plan and we did well. Casey lost. Casey was still a great rider, mm. but he just didn't win that race, you know. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't I don't get that upset or excited or mm. either. You know, I, I always back your rider, especially in front of them, because that's part of your job. Sure. You know? Yeah. But, you know, I can, I can see why Casey would be pissed off. Why wouldn't mm. you be pissed off? You were going to win that race. Mm. People have been betting on you. It was, mm. it was a shoo-in, you know, mm. but he didn't. And I almost feel disappointed that it ended like kind of he, you know, almost fizzled off into the dirt there. And I thought, oh, man, I would have liked him to, I would have loved him to come back on the track, like just run wide instead of end up in, in the gravel. And, mm. you know, I think if he had an awkward fall, it was just shitty. Mm. You know, he would have been great. Imagine how good that race would have been if he, like, was wheel okay. to wheel for. Well, no, let's say he had to chase the rabbit. Chase him down, okay. You know, how yeah. good would that have been? Oh. You know, like, that mm. would have been great. Mm. You know? and, and, I, and I miss that we didn't see that. Mm. Yeah, you know, the that battle to, to, to make him make a mistake effectively, mm. or you know, he'll probably say, Different, you know, shoved, pushed. I don't know. Can't really remember. But anyway, it was just a race. He's run off. I would like to see him get back on and chase him down yeah. and see what happened. You know, mm. because that was great. You mm. know. But anyway, that was that's what my and we loved it. I loved going to Laguna Seca. It was one of my favourite races. Great, great, great place. Valentino would get moved back to Yamaha. You guys would would go with him. He's in his early forties now. We sort of crave the memories. We'd love him to be to be winning races on a on a regular basis. My my question is he's still so passionate about riding. I mean clearly you described that before with mm. the ranch, right? Um, should he stop 
should he keep going? I mean, you know, people often say, oh, mate, he's holding on too long. Or, but, but I think at the same time, often you meet athletes like him that are incredibly good at what they do yeah. and are still loving what they do. So why not? I, I've heard this argument mm. for a hundred years. Mm. Yeah, I've just heard it a hundred times, you know, mm. people talk about it. in every sport. I don't mm. know what it is about people, what they want from their sports people. Sometimes I'll say, in any sport, they'll say, he should quit at the top, you know, mm. just walk out of the top. Mm. I'm like, are you crazy? Like, why Why would you leave when you're at the top of the Peaking sport hours. Mm. and you love it? Mm. Why would you even leave? Like, why do you, well, okay, so this is the peak. Why won't next year be Peakier. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, why, mm. why would you do that? So mm. this is the thing you love the most in the world. Mm. You're the best at it in the, on the whole planet. You're the best. And then they go, well, you should walk out now because it'll be great. Mm. Great for what? Two days later, those same people will be going, oh, man, I wish he was still, still around. You know? exactly. So yeah. I just don't get it, you know. he. And then they say, well, he's taken somebody else's seat. Uh, is he? I mean, yeah, people say that about, you know, everybody. Mm. I mean, in, in golf, the, the golfers they play, you know, they're, they're the peak of their career and then they go, well, we still love this, they go on to the seniors tour mm. and they the, the, could be the peak of the seniors tour. And there's people that have been playing in golf or motorcycles or any other sport that, you know, what people call the journeyman, you know. Mm. So they, they've been there for 20 years or 10 years and never really made it, but people don't get upset about them. They don't go, man, he should have left at his peak Yeah. when he was came 10th. You know, well, like, he loves yeah. it. He races. Go, mm. go race Good on him. If you're better than him, go, you have a crack at it, mm. you know. Or, uh, so, you know, I, I don't get it. He's taken somebody else's seat. So what does that mean, you know? Mm. Um, okay, at the end of this year we're just going to get rid of them all and all those rookies in the Rookie Cup can just race from next year. Mm. No, this is not how it works. Yeah. Nah. I, if you love it, in people will give you a ride or give you a tennis racket or give you a thing and you've got the money, go ride. Do what mm. you want. Mm. Who cares? I, don't, I couldn't care less. Mm. Your ride in the World Championship, very sadly, has has come to an end. You're on a new chapter now. Oh, I wouldn't now. say very sadly. No, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the way that you have um, right. parked that or dealt yeah. with that because yeah. it... <clears throat> It's not all you know, but but it, it's a massive. It's it's the the most the biggest part of your life, your adult life that yeah. you've that you've spent there. Now Valentino's gone to a to a, a, a private tee or not, a, but a, it's not the factory Yamaha that he's riding this mm. year. As a part of that change, you Brent and, and a lot of the core group that were there, JB, um, you know, finished up a few years ago. You're not part of that now. So when did you know that you wouldn't be continuing on the tour? And was there an opportunity to go and work for someone else that you explored at all? Yeah, so... Um, and how hard was that to come to terms with? It's not as hard as you think for me. I mean, really? uh, I, I can't say for sure about the other guys, but mm. for me it wasn't It wasn't, it wasn't horrible or anything mm. like that. So um, I was disappointed in, in, in some regard, but it wasn't like a... It wasn't because you wanted to finish with Valentino? I well, yeah. I mean, I would have liked to... Finish over there. I'm not sure, but I would have liked to finish Valentino's career with him because I, mm. I, I, you know, I feel that it's, yeah, two, three years sort of, and mm -hmm. probably max. You know, mm -hmm. I don't really know. So another two years would have been nice. Mm -hmm. And why would it have been nice? Perhaps just just because it would have been a nice story, mm. even for me. You know, I would have enjoyed. Okay, I, I he stopped and I stopped. You know, mm. great, but. It it doesn't really matter, you know. It's a it's racing. It's a strange game, you know. Mm. I stopped stopped working for. I didn't stop when Mick stopped. Do you mm. know what I mean? Mm. Like, um, so. But did others pick up the phone? Have you had a? I've had a couple of offers yeah. from other people, but um, none of them were ones that I wanted to take. So, okay. so some some are quite good, mm -hmm. um, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do. I kind of, yeah. I've been offered jobs in Australia as a mechanic again for race teams at a mm. couple in Europe. Um, some for quite good money, and uh, conditions weren't quite as good. So the, the mm. things that like I, you know, make a big difference now that I'm mm. older and you know I've got a family and you come home, you got to, you know, you want to see your family and your wife and stuff. So, you know, I didn't want to stay in Europe forever, but there it wasn't really what I wanted. I just the, none of the jobs came. I went, yep, that's but that'd be great. It's mm. just not what I wanted. So I just went. Uh, not for me. So you are, the, out on the clothesline, there are some now Aussie race-based shirts oh, yeah. that have gone through. I yes. didn't even notice. <laughs> uh, so so just right. tell everyone what you're doing back here now because it probably has happened a little quicker. I think you half thought you might have a, 
year around the farm in some ways, didn't you? Oh, I was, I was more than happy to. So I, basically, Jerez, uh, Yamaha uh, had called me into the, the motorhome and told me that I wasn't working. So from Jerez, uh, pandemic Jerez, mm-hmm. uh, from there I stayed in Europe for five months <sighs> to think about it. It was five months from door to door from when I left here to when I got home. So I had a lot, and I, and I knew about it, you know, after, uh, well, so, so four and a half months, I knew that I, uh, that, that I, was it, that I wasn't going to be working for the factory team. That's what I knew for sure. You stop and take pictures or look around racetracks and we think, jo- you know? We joked about that for, for every year since JB, would, when JB took a photo of anything, he, or we saw us for years, <laughs> he used to say, last year, mate, last year. We'd always talk about that. And I did think about it lots of times, you know, like a lot of places we, we'd pass or, you know, um, it's it's interesting, you know, the the drive from Jerez, you know, like across the, the farm, the fields, you just go, man, I'm not going to see that again, you know. Mm. I mean, maybe, maybe. but yeah. highly yeah. unlikely, you know. So, and that doesn't doesn't bother me. It means the fact that, I don't know, the fact that I kind of miss it means I liked it, do you know what I mean? Mm. So mm. it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. Um, so a phone call obviously comes. What are you doing here in Australia now? Oh, okay. So, yeah, so basically lots of people asked me to work and I, I didn't really want to do anything. I was happy to do nothing. In mm. fact, the very beginning of the year where we did nothing because of the uh, uh, pandemic, like I've just yeah. gone, I kind of like this, you know, I was happy. Anyway, so end of the, end of the season, I'm happy to do nothing and uh, we've talked about money and stuff. We should be okay. Yep, okay, fine, me and Ellen. But Ellen's business had sort of dried up a lot because of stage time. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, we'll be okay. We're fine. And I ha- and then uh, my mate Dougie rings me. And, uh, uh, Dougie is uh, the mechanic I worked for with Daryl Beatty in 93. No way. So, so I, he, I know him, but I didn't know that connection. That's yeah, okay. amazing. So okay. in 93, Dougie was already in Europe working for uh, WG, I think. Okay. And... Uh, and almost he was in there in anticipation of Daryl coming because Daryl in Australia, Dougie was Daryl's mechanic and in, uh, in this locally, in Australia, yeah, locally, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know all the details of that. I should ask Dougie a bit more. But anyway, so, yeah, he was working and he was in Europe and then Daryl came to Europe to Rothmans Honda. They wanted to expand the team. That's how I got the job. Mm-hmm. And Dougie was the guy, he was he was my manual. So he, I was his boy. So, uh so I'm the young guy and he's showing me how to do this, how me do that, and, and uh, we shared rooms, you know, because you share, share a hotel room. So yep. we shared room for the first first year with Doug. Uh, so that was that was kind of, I think, yeah, Dougie, well, not all the time, but anyway, we shared rooms a lot of the time. And um, so Dougie rings me. Now, Dougie, in the meantime, with another guy called Sean Gallagher, who was a racer back in the day, they have built a business in Australia whilst Dougie was away and and now a successful business importing motorcycle parts. So and they're the they're the importer for motorcycle tires from Michelin. It's gas, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Gas imports. Well, yeah. So they they or lots of cool stuff, you know, like uh acropovic exhaust pipes, you know. So they're they're a big deal and they've got warehouses in uh, I think Sydney and Brisbane and Melbourne. Big it's a big show. Anyway, Dougie's r- rang me up and said, hey, look, uh, JB helped me last year with introducing Michelin tyres to the Australian superbikes. JB's going to sort of step away from it. He'd sort of hurt his back and he wasn't really sure if he wants to continue. Um, do, do you want to do that? And I go, well, hey, what is it, you know, Dougie? And he tell, explains and I said, look, okay, look, give me the weekend and I'll think about it. I talked to Alan, talked to a few friends and I said, yeah, yeah, all right, I'll do it. So it's like seven races, a yep. few tests, and I've never been to any of the racetracks in Australia other than Philip. Phillip Island and Eastern Creek, you know. Crazy. So, so Winton was the first yeah, time so for off you. I go to Winton for a test and I'm just going, oh, yeah, where's Winton? You know? Isn't Winton in Queensland? No, no, Winton's in, right, in Ned Kelly country. So off we go down to Winton and uh, it's just like take me back to like my motocross days. So the feeling is kind of like a motocross awesome. race. But it's road races and I met to meet all these people and I see some of them, they look at me like, oh, man, that guy's, you know, and they want to talk to me about it and you can yeah. tell that, uh and I'm clearly more than happy to, but there's a little, there's a slight barrier, you know, you yeah. can feel it. And so when I say hello to them and say, oh, yeah, and, and they tell them, they all just want to know what it was like over there, really. Yeah. Anyway, so it's great. So I'm helping Dougie. But Dougie says to me, uh, okay, don't worry, there won't be really any manual labour. We're going to get a guy <laughs> to fit the t-. So basically the job is to. You the, are hands on. Yeah, so, so, right, so the job is 
tyres, Michelin tyres, we're going to introduce them in the Superbike series and we're going to see if we can get a bit of a foothold and get some more riders. So we've got yeah. Troy Herfoss, which is one of the one of the premier riders in the, in Australia, and and uh, he's he's riding. And then we've got uh, three three other guys in Superbikes now. At the time we only had that one when Dougie rings me and we've got somebody riding in the Supersport. Anyway, so he says, yeah, look, we're going to get somebody to change the tyres and your job is to sort of collate the information help with the riders make the choices, see if we can get them to work properly and because yep. we haven't been to all the tracks. We don't even know all the tracks, what they're going to behave like. And 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 then we're going to send that information back to France and they're going to help them with the tyres in the future. Right. So there we are. There I am changing tyres straight first day, man. Okay, Dougie, I haven't used a tyre machine like my whole life. What the hell? He goes, no, it's like this, right? So chucking tyres on there and like soaking them up and banging them on and getting stuck and jamming my fingers. Anyway. I'm a professional now. Good oh, stuff. Yeah, but anyway, so me and Dougie are slinging tyres on these on the tyre machines, balancing them you know, the old school way, you know, like yeah. spinning them and then putting weights on them and cutting them off. And uh, and anyway, so it's, we're kind of in at the ground level and already we're buying things and we're changing this and changing that and I've explained to some of the riders how, how it gets done, you know, overseas because we have a bit more information. So we know these Excellent. things. We've got to start, if we want to win, we want to do some of these things. So, yep. so we're starting to do that and I kind of, in, I'm enjoying that, you know. Good. And I get home like Monday, no jet lag yep. at the Gold Coast Airport and it's like an hour drive to my house and I'm good to go. Happy days. And Brent has ended up in that paddock too in a in a different role with a different different team. Yeah, so that's good to, it's good to it's run into Brent and just have stories and stuff. Yeah, it's good. And here you do, you love golf. Mm. You are applying some of your mechanical strengths yeah. to golf clubs. Right. Just, just explain that. And and typical you, it's it, there is you know real cool ways that you are helping not only to repair clubs for people that you know, but improve them as well. Almost kind of like a little bit of development, like a bike rider. Would yeah, do. yeah. Also, <laughs> so, so golf has become a thing for me. I mean, I'd always played golf, right? Mm. But it's a real, if you're a golfer, it's a real addiction, you know, mm-hmm. so. And uh, I loved it because it's the opposite to everything else I did, you know. Mm-hmm. You're, you're by yourself. It's not a team sport. You're by mm-hmm. yourself. It's quiet, essentially, except for the swearing. And <laughs> and, and uh, it's on does grass. That, does that happen know? a lot? Yeah, or hell yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially the bikes I play with. So anyway, so and it's on grass, you know. Like it's a, it's a world away from racing motorcycles around in circles. Mm-hmm. So... Oh, so I loved it. I just love it. And but I like the, I like the technical side of it, and I like all the angles and the you know. There's a lot in it, but from the outside, I mean, you've talked to Ellen. She just goes, "It's the worst sport in the world." You know, she <laughs> hates it, hates everything about it. The only good thing she said was when the kids used to go and play golf. It's great, you know. She says not like soccer where you sit on the sidelines for half an hour and watch them and pretend you're watching. Yeah. She said golf is four hours and they're gone. You can go and do the shopping and come back. You know, it's great. <laughs> so that's our only positive. Anyway. So I'm addicted to it and uh, like everything, it turns out I'm better at uh, fixing them than I am at playing. Like it's exactly the same thing happened to me with motorcycles. Crazy. Exactly. And I just got right into it, you know, and um, so now I kind of did it on the side myself for myself and now I've really, I've just started a business on the side. Re- on the side, I don't know what you call it on the side. It's just another thing I'm doing, mm-hmm. fixing people's golf clubs and building them and modifying them. I've got all the gear. Yes. Maybe a little bit of an idea. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, all the gear. Yes. <laughs> so yes. I've got all the gear in the workshop. I've built a nice new bench and got everything going in there. And so most evenings at the moment are spent tinkering on golf clubs for awesome. people. So, you know, as everything from just putting grips on to fixing broken bits and pieces and changing, I've got, yeah, it's great fun. There's a lot in it when, you, when you're into it, you know, so I, it's hard to um, Hard to explain to some, but anyway, I love that, and that'll be a little, that'll be a business for me shortly. I'll probably have the website. It'll be, I've got to change the logo to uh, one spanner and one golf club. I've already done that. I love so, uh, it. I it's love gonna it. Look pretty cool. Couple to finish. Firstly, the boys yep. are old enough, more than old enough to drive, and uh, and are driving. As I came in here today, you told me about. There's been a couple of circle work models yeah. that one of them might even be buried in the paddock at the front or something. Yeah. And, and if they hit you up for the dough to buy them, how did that all come to pass? What what were they? No, well, they're always rear-wheel drive, right? So, yeah. so they're Falcons or uh, Commodores. So that's basically it. You know? But mostly they can get Falcons because I don't know what happens to Commodores. 500 bucks or something. What, what Pretty much. They, yeah. So they scour Gumtree and they've got – there's about five mates, right? Yeah. 
and half of the half of the fun for them is haggling with these people because they don't care. They couldn't yeah. care rats, right? Yeah. So they buy these heaps of junk and they drive them here with maybe one month's rego or maybe just in the dead of night, you know. Yeah. So they get these cars here. And then they drive them around in circles in the paddock until they blow something. And nearly always they blow the gearbox up. Classic. More the engine. Like, yeah. There's an engine down there that they, they cut mufflers. They cut the muffler straight off. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I, I do know why, right? Yeah. Okay, so it sounds cool. But the whole valley can hear it. Even in town, people go, those bloody Briggs kids. <laughs> they can hear them, you know. Like their mum was one of the kids goes, oh, you're right. You're driving the cars around today. Yeah. yeah. They just drive, basically drive in circles. It's, it's like. Oh, I don't know. Remember happy days when they used yeah. to drive around in circles and smash up Derby and the, the Malachi Crunch? It's like these guys down there just smash into each other. Not a love. It's just all on private property and they're getting, <laughs> they're getting a lot of it out of their system. That's actually, oh, yeah. that's, a, that's actually a good thing. One of the boys has got a, a Corona that he's, that he's done up and, yeah, and, right and loves cars, right yeah. into that. But you have a couple of things in the garage that we should finish on. Right. Firstly, one of them was, a, I think, a birthday present for Ellen. Might have yeah. been a milestone birthday present. Yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a... I'm, I can't, this is bad. I, I couldn't remember if it's a 30th or 40th. I think it's a 40th birthday present. Yep. Uh, and uh, it's a 1960 Holden FB. Awesome. So, and every now and then you see it in some of her clips. They use it now sometimes as promos. Of, hey, like we're driving to <laughs> such and such. And, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll film in it. They've done a few things like uh, Ellen's done a few interviews driving in them, a bit like awesome. you know, those sorts of Seinfeld style Using that old car, it's a great old car, you know. Very um, original, white wall tyres. Have you done much to d- it? Done really almost nothing to it. I've, mm. I fixed a couple of things like uh, got it running a little bit better and, and manifold leak and mm. uni joints and just basic stuff. It, it, it's it's essentially how I bought it. Just yeah. it's Yeah, it's good. It's a good car. And you have fun. you have in two-wheel terms, there are some two-wheels. So you, I mean, you talked about riding before at the ranch and things, but... Yeah. One thing that caught my eye was a Triumph. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's a 1969 Triumph Bonneville. Mm-hmm. So we were driving across Europe, me and Rog, in the truck, the Honda truck one day, and we we're reading the magazines and the new Triumph Bonnevilles had just come out. Like Triumph had just started re- and they'd made these new things. Mm-hmm. And they were similar sort of money and we're talking about it. And I said, you know, it would be good to just buy the original, you know. And 1969 is when I was born. I've gone, well, oh, it'd be great to buy one of them. So... I was looking through these old um, old magazines, uh, Just Bikes magazines. I'm yep. looking, I'm looking, and I find one there. And I ring the guy. This is at the workshop in Belgium, right, in Ars. We've got some old magazines, and there's one in there. And I ring the guy. It's like, you know, maybe a year old. And he goes, oh, the guy never came and picked it up. He paid me 500 buck deposit and never picked it up. And it's still there, and I haven't really advertised it again. I said, right, well, I'm coming there for, for Phillip Island because it was in Melbourne. When I come to Phillip Island, we'll swing by so I swung by and, uh, yeah, perfect. I think I think I organised Dougie to get it up here to, <laughs> with, with, to with, with a shipment to, of tyres or something up to the Drop Brisbane. it off. Yeah, I think so. I think it was Dougie actually. No, it was a long time ago anyway. So I was What states it in? Do you ride it? Well, tell me a bit more there. I hardly ride it, mm-hmm. but I need to. Now that I'm going to be home more often, although... So I like, like JB, you can get your teeth into a project. Well, yeah, except I'm busier than I ever have been. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but anyway. So, yeah, I want to get it going and go for Sunday ride. Me and Ellen have been for a ride a few times, but I've just got like a little, you know, jet black helmet, but yeah. Ellen doesn't have one, so we still have got like three Valentino helmets that he signed. <laughs> so the last time we drove it, Ellen just, I said, well, just use one of them. It's got tear-offs and everything on it. But take that. So it was the one with a little bit of pink in it, I think, was the one we, t- we chose. But, yeah, so it's one of the helmets that Valentino had given us as a present. Wouldn't be a far. Signed. <laughs> so we ride, we're driving around. It's all- yeah, it's all autographed and like, you know, thanks, Alex, and Ellen's got that on and she's on the back. So it's kind of fun. Wouldn't be a farm without ride-on mowers and quad bikes and things. You also have a Mahindra tractor. Yeah, yeah. And proudly <laughs> adorned on the back of the seat... Yeah. Is the 46, yeah. the Valentino yeah. Rossi. Yeah, well, it just fits perfect, doesn't yeah, it? it does. It's like a race plate. <laughs> so, yeah, I've got on the back of the mower and the, and the tractor and a couple of spots in the garage, I've got old stickers that were, you know, that didn't fit something or I've stolen from work or yeah. whatever, you know. I've got them plastered around a real McCoy stickers on the back of the tractor, which got used today, which you know about. Yeah, I do, I do. Mate, it's been super to talk to you, to walk down memory lane. We spent two hours doing that, and I'm sure we could spend another, mate, another we two hours. we haven't even scratched the Oh, mate, it's You're going to have to edit this down. Yeah. I don't know how you're going to do that. No, we'll be right. It'll be a couple of parts that people will thoroughly enjoy. <laughs> can, I, can I encourage you to finish this with maybe a tip for, for youngsters, men and women, um, that are perhaps, you know, into racing, maybe they're not, 
ever going to be a world champion carter or, or motorcycle racer, but they might want to follow a path like yours. What would be the the tip when you've spoken about this to those people? What would you what would you tell them? Yeah, lots lots of kids sometimes. Well, I've been to a few talks and people have asked, you know, well, how do I get into that? What, what's the path? You know, I don't know that there's a particular way to get into it. I mean, a lot now is. Uh, I think the the first thing to do is just go to your local race with a friend, you know, find somebody that you that you can help because essentially as a mechanic what you're doing is helping. Mm. You know, you're helping his racer go racing. You're helping the bike. You want to keep give him a bike that's, you know, stuck together okay. So mm. that's what your job is helping. So just go and help somebody. That's the that's the way to do it and don't listen to a careers advisor. I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't advise that. <laughs> don't worry about your spelling. Most important thing is uh is getting on with people, listen and uh, listen to your rider and your and the people just listen and do your work. You know, it's, it's if if you enjoy it, it's not it's not hard. You mm. know? Like, Particularly if you're passionate about it, if you're into it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I would say I was never like. It's hard. To, I'm not a fanatic. You know, I think mm-hmm. I actually think people that are fanatical are uh, aren't the best at, at at being a race mechanic. If you're fanatical, I think you. Um, Overthink it or overthink it? Oh, yeah, it. overthink mm. it also can be a bit dangerous, you know, because you think you know everything. You, okay. know, you mm. definitely don't know everything and you're mm. never going to. Mm. And uh, so and I think to get away from racing is really good too. So you have to be involved. You, sh- you should, in my opinion, be involved in as many things as you can because lots of ideas come from other other avenues. Like so you'd be thinking about something or you have another problem and it triggers your idea for racing or for the idea to fix something. That's, mm-hmm. So if you just got your head buried in the one thing, you 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 won't see enough to be able to fix it. Anyway, so I would say don't listen to your careers advisor. Help a friend, and if you enjoy it, just keep helping, and uh, it'll take care of itself. And use those skills to hot rod golf clubs. Go well with <laughs> go well with the game, mate. We we um, are immensely proud of the time that you've spent overseas. I know you you sort of just quietly. Um, compartmentalise that, but I mean to be a part of all that, to play, to be a cog in the machine, and yeah. to to contribute to that is just amazing. The longevity that you've had with it, yeah. and and the fact that you're still, um, you know, even though you've come full circle, that you still love it as much now, I think is tremendous. So thank you for talking to us. Awesome. It's been a pleasure. It's good. It's actually good because I've kind of gone down memory lane. It's only when you look back that you uh, really realise what you've done. So this is good. Thanks. Awesome. Rusty's Garage is written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series producer and editor is Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.